Feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. This week, our professional killjoys are me, Melody, and my cat X, who's sitting on my lap. Today, we're going to be talking about my problematic vacation to Guatemala. Rachel is busy doing life stuff, but we should be back together next week. Bye, X. She just left my lap. Uh, so, wow, hello. I feel like I'm Garth on Wayne's World when he's all alone on the set and has to do the show by himself. But I'll be okay. I hope that this is entertaining and moving for you. Today, um, in terms of my problematic vacation to Guatemala, I really do just want to touch on the issues of white privilege, white wealth, uh, via Jamaica Kincaid's essay, A Small Place, and weaving in my experience in Guatemala. So I do want to preface this by saying I had a wonderful time in Guatemala. There was birds that sounded like cat meows. The people were very generous and nice. I had a wonderful time with my partner. The reason I was down there in the first place is was to meet up with my partner, who I haven't seen for four months. He's been biking through Central America and Mexico with his friend Jaime. And so I was going to meet him wherever he was anyways. But of course, uh, because I'm a feminist crit- critical scholar, I analyze everything. Thank you, college and grad school. So obviously I have lots of things to say that I haven't really talked about much uh, since I got back. Oh, how am I doing? Thanks. That's a, thanks for asking, Melody. I am doing well. I should check in before I launch off. Um, well, I'm coming off of this nasty like 48-hour bug that I got from visiting Guatemala. People often do uh, visiting Central America and Mexico. Westerners, Our bacteria defenses are not as strong as other people's. So I've been sick, but I'm on the mend for sure. I really love that my sickness came almost to the hour in which my fam- part of my family showed up to visit here in Minneapolis this weekend. So I had a nice time with them, but I was sick and exhausted and it was just not wonderful timing, but it was good to see them. And starting tomorrow, basically, I'm... I'm I'm calling it tomorrow as the start of my jobless summer, which is always a test for my mental health, but I should be good. Um, But that's definitely going to be a big change for me. So, all right. So I checked in, trying to stick with this uh, format we have here, even though I'm by myself. Uh, So let me talk to you about my trip, the problematic parts. Uh, Let me just tell you some of the things that bothered me. So, when I got there, I wasn't. I was kind of overwhelmed uh, with culture shock. The place that we were staying, uh, San Pablo, is a small town uh, on this lake, Lake Atilan, A T I T L A N. If you want to look it up, uh, and so we were staying in a very small, non-touristy town, and it was wonderful. Um, but you know, not being able to speak the language very well, you know, everybody kind of looking at you sideways. Uh, it was different, and it was. I was glad to be there, but, you know, had some adjusting to do. But not long after I arrived, we started bouncing around to these other towns that surrounded the lake. 
uh, and you, you you get through, you get to these different cities or towns by boat. So instead of taking like a bus or a taxi, you take boats to get across the lake. It's pretty wild. And we also took tuk-tuks, which are these small, it's like a smart car with a go-kart engine, basically, and no doors. So that's how we got around. So the first town that we visited, we walked to for the first time, um, although tuk-tuks are probably the way to go if you're not wanting a huge workout. Anyways, so we visit San Marcos and beautiful town, cute, oh my god, the kids are so cute and there's dogs, perros everywhere, awesome. But we walked down this path, the kind of the main part of the town, the main commerce area of town, and a lot of the businesses were not owned by natives, native Guatemalans. Uh, it was very strange. I could order coffee, espresso with soy milk and almond milk. I could get vegan food, vegetarian food, all clearly catered to the Western audience. And it was really weird because I was expecting to have to accommodate myself to the Guatemalan culture and food. And lo and behold, I did not have to if I didn't want to, which made me feel really weird. Um, but I guess yeah, I was doing some research and San Marcos especially has been kind of a hippie commune space for a really long time, for decades. And I'll get back to why that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Um, but so that was one town that we went to that I was like, okay, it's interesting. And then we crossed the, the lake to get to this other town called San Pedro. And that town was even more icky because it was filled with um, a lot of more Western slash Israeli commerce. And although it was convenient to walk into the food co-op and get soy milk and vegan cheesecake and all that stuff, uh, and that was, you know, comforts of home, that really wasn't what I was expecting nor wanting. Uh, even though I did indulge in that, I was more interested in, you know, talking with natives and buying locally, although it was hard to do. San Pedro is also known for being a party town where people go to drink for cheap. White people go to drink for cheap. Alcoholism is definitely a problem in this area with natives. We were walking around and there was this big announcement being uh, this big announcement coming from this pickup truck speaker system and my partner knew, knows Spanish well enough to decipher that it was about alcoholism and so they were talking to natives about getting help, the locals getting help with their alcoholism but for the western tourists they really amp it up in San Pedro there was this one hostel called Zula that was that's owned by Israelis and you could take a boat for five hours and do all you can drink uh, for the whole day and they blast music by DJs and they just have a good old time except it's totally not the vibe of these towns right or so like I would assume from a native standpoint and I remember we were on a boat uh, like a transportation boat and one of these all-you-can-drink boats started docking and everybody was just staring Nobody was smiling. Everybody was just staring, almost in disbelief. Although these boats happen once a week, and so I'm sure people are used to them by now. But it was just really, really weird to see that. Um, total, like, Western idea of partying come to fruition in this small town in Guatemala. It was really weird. 
And so I started thinking about why this is going on. And of course, the reasons are rooted in rage that I have over my own white privilege and white wealth that other people have taken advantage of in this really intense way. So, you know, our U.S. money goes really far down there. It's very cheap to live down there. It's very cheap to visit. It's very cheap to eat. And, you know, you feel like a rich person down there. I didn't even go with, I think, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And I was, if you turn that into Guatemalan money, short, you'd say Q, 100Q, 10Q, that goes very far. A couple hundred dollars. You are rich. And so... Other people have taken advantage of that, I think, and, you know, settle down there. They stay and set up shop, rent a house, start a business with their Western money that goes really far. And it just really bothered me because white privilege. I mean, it's it was just really weird to see. And, you know, a lot of people are, you know, escaping their lives and, trying to find a new way. And I I really do appreciate that from a mental health standpoint of getting away from American or Western consumerism and living a simple life. That is obviously something that I support. But when it's mixed with the locals and their land that they've had for centuries and their, their way of life, their customs, their culture, to be impacted so greatly, so obviously by these expats just made me feel really uneasy. And of course, you know, my analysis or my observations aren't, you know, anybody could see them if they were paying attention. It's more about, and this is, I'm riffing off a Jamaica Kincaid here. It's more about whether I wanted, if you want to see those things, right? And so she writes about in a small place, and I'll quote her more directly in a little bit, but you know, when you flush the toilet, do you really think about where that goes when you're in, well, she was saying Antigua, an island, a West Indies island, you know, but for me, it's like, you know, do I really want to think about all these things while I'm here? And I chose to turn off my feminist killjoy brain as much as I could. Of course, I came back with lots of critiques, but it was one of the few times that I've been on vacation and not brought work with me. And so even though I was in this very complex, complicated place for myself, given my politics, it was also a space for me to like learn how to relax and do nothing all day because there, where we were staying, there wasn't tourist things to do, right? Um, It was just a small town. You could walk around, say hi to people. They'd kind of follow you around and look at you, wave. And then that's all you could really do in the town we were staying at. So spent lots of time reading, just hanging out on the porch, cooking food, from, you know, with food that we got from local vendors. Food there is very basic. I mean, some people have asked me how the food was and it it's simple. I mean, you go to these stores and they have tomatoes, avocados, uh, mangoes, bananas, and eggs. And that's it. So that's what we made food from. And even like some of the food that we bought off the street, it was a uh, tostada with black bean spread, ramen noodles, like plain ramen noodles with mixed vegetables and some hot sauce. So it's very, very simple food down there um, because there's a lot of poverty. It is a very poor place. I tried not to get too upset about it. 
uh, for better or worse, I handled it really well. I think the most white saviorific thing that I did was I bought food for dogs and cats and I fed them, um, especially dogs. There's a lot of wild dogs down there and there's a lot of them are like skin and bones and uh, clearly have been breastfeeding just based on their, um, just if you look at the dogs. Um, bodies you can tell that they're breastfeeding and so I just tried to feed them as much as I could with my white money but uh that was kind of the extent and I you know I look forward to hearing Rachel's thoughts and maybe she can press me on some things when she returns next week but I did notice as I was thinking about my trip that I did feel a lot less guilty being there than I did when my partner and I actually visited the east side of New Orleans we were told not to go to the east side of New Orleans, and we often don't listen to people when they say that because it's usually based on white fear, like the irrational fear of black people. And yet when we did go visit, and we also visited the Ninth Ward to for me to pay respects, but that's not how the locals see it. The vibe was very clear in terms of them not wanting us there on the east side of New Orleans and the Ninth Ward. And I did not get that vibe from the local Guatemalans, but that isn't to say that it didn't exist. It's just I wasn't as tapped into it as I am the race relations that are happening here in the United States. And it's interesting because people will say, you know, that it's beneficial for white Western people with lots of money. I, you know, it's not just a white thing, but I'm making it a white thing because that's, that's my uh, ethnicity or race. But we bring a lot of money down there, right? So a counter argument would be, well, you give them a lot of tourist money and they need that money to survive. But I would say, yes, we do give them money. And at times um, I gave extra money because the extra money was dollar you know a dollar in with the currency exchange so I did try to give extra money when I could when I could or when it was feasible or you know made sense to but a lot of the businesses you know that I visited uh, were either not native owned you know so buying coffee from a, from a clearly an expat or were businesses that were built for tourists so for example, there was a lot of fair, this really cool, so go to San Juan for your fair trade women collective weaving shops. Awesome, awesome stuff. But clearly a lot of those shops were built up for Western tourists, right? So imagine if we didn't exist. We cannot have the kind of ego that would say, we're making this place run or we're making this place survive because of our money. What if all those tourist places didn't exist? How would these people spend their time and their money and their energy, right? Um, they've diverted their attention to catering to tourists, which again, makes me feel uncomfortable. But it's not as wonderful as we want to think our money is towards these uh, groups of people. You know, and another, I guess, counter argument is that it's good to see the world. You know, it's beneficial for Westerners to get out of their bubble and go see these places. And I agree. 
Um, except the thing that has been in the back of my mind this whole time is Jamaica Kincaid's essay called A Small Place and about how locals actually view tourists. And of course, it's through her viewpoint, but it's kind of been celebrated. It's a very, it is a renowned essay because she speaks truth and other people have, you know, kind of validated her truth as being beyond Antigua, where she writes from. And what's interesting from the Guatemalan standpoint is that, you know, I was asking people about whether the, the, the natives live in harmony with the expats. And what was interesting is some of the white people I, I asked this of, they said, oh, yes, 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 I, we live in harmony. Things are fine. Uh, I did speak with one of my friends who is down there who is American, and she was a lot more frank with me in that, no, there's actually a lot of tensions about land use, land ownership, not obeying the Mayan customs and cultures. And one of the cultural things that was really upsetting the locals was this issue of clothing and how hippies in different states of mind really like to not wear clothes. And that was really making the locals uncomfortable. And this started an interesting discussion about what women and men are expected to wear in this area of Guatemala, which I'm just going to bracket so I can bring up with Rachel next week. But that was just one of the things that made the locals kind of upset and bothered them. And I knew I had a I mean, you can feel it, right? Like if you actually pay attention, you can feel it. But I just found it interesting that, you know, there was a lot of talk about like, oh, yeah, everybody see everybody's living in harmony. And it's like maybe on the surface, there's not daily fights and, you know, nasty looks. Definitely locals. Kids loved me. Love to say hi and wave. Uh, people were making fun of us behind our backs a lot. Lots of giggling after we passed. Uh, I definitely got some nasty looks from some local women, uh, which is to be expected and totally fine. So I already knew just me being there, I could sense that things were not harmonious across the board. So to really drive home this point, I, I want to read a few things from Jamaica Kincaid's essay. She writes, a tourist is an ugly human being. You are not an ugly person all the time. You are not an ugly person ordinarily. You are not an ugly person day to day. From day to day, you are a nice person. But you are an ugly thing. That is what you are when you become a tourist. An ugly, empty thing, a stupid thing, a piece of rubbish pausing here and there to gaze at this and that, and taste that, and this and that. And it will never occur to you that the people who inhabit the place in which you have just paused cannot stand you, that behind their closed doors they laugh at your strangeness. The physical sight of you does not please them. You have bad manners. It is their custom to eat their foods with their, with their hands. You try eating their way, you look silly. You try eating the way you always eat, you look silly. They do not like the way you speak. They collapse helpless from laughter, mimicking the way they imagine you must look as you carry out some everyday bodily function. They do not like you. That thought never actually occurs to you, the tourist. Still, you feel a little uneasy. Still, you feel a little foolish. Still, you feel a little out of place. 
but the banality of your own life is very real to you. It drove you to this extreme. Spending your days and your nights in the company of people who despise you, people who do not like you, people who would not want to have you as your as an actual neighbor. That the native does not like the tourist is not hard to explain. For every native of every place is a potential tourist, and every tourist is a native of somewhere. And I'm going to pause and just say if you tuned me out to tune me back in because I think this last part is what stuck with me since I've read this in grad school and I remember and I grapple with because I'm not really sure what the answer is. What is the answer when you, when you hear this? But some natives, most natives in the world, cannot go anywhere. They are too poor. They are too poor to go anywhere. They are too poor to escape the reality of their lives, and they are too poor to live properly in the place where they live, which is the very place you, the tourist, want to go. So when the natives see you, the tourists, they envy you. They envy your ability to leave your own banality and boredom. They envy your ability to turn their own banality and boredom into a source of pleasure for yourself. Mic drop. That's intense, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's like we go visit these small towns in Guatemala and they'll never be able to afford to come to America, right? And But we get to go see them. We get to travel wherever we want, especially to developing countries where our money goes further and we get to exploit that system. And for natives to not appreciate us makes a lot of sense. But what do you do? Do you still go visit places that you're not familiar with? Or do you only visit places that reflect your ethnicity, right? So I'm German, Swedish, Norwegian. Are those the only places that I should probably go? Places that people who reside there look more like me and my culture. Those are tough questions and I, and I don't have the answers, but... Um, I'm, I'm skeptical of the people who move down to places like Guatemala to escape life because people in poverty don't get to escape their own poverty. And our ability to escape our overabundant life here in America reeks of privilege, and it's a privilege that I don't think a lot of people have. I was reading this essay in the New York Times. Uh, it was from a while ago, and it's written by a woman who's a writer who ends up living in Guatemala and the, I mean, the essay is titled Paradise Lost and it was published in the New York Times style magazine. And it was all about how she lost, she decided to move down to Guatemala, stay there, be a writer, somehow had all this money to like build a house and her house got washed away by the lake. And I had zero sympathy for her and these types of pieces out of the New York Times drive me nuts because the lack of awareness of privilege is uh, outstanding. And I'll make sure to link to that in our uh, podcast website for this week. I'm going to end with, well, I'm going to end with one more story and then I'm going to do my own RWL. But I think this all, my uneasiness really got solidified on my flight home, where a group of young white 
I think either old high school, you know, finishing high school or newly to college young adults were coming home from Guatemala doing volunteer work. And I knew they were doing volunteer work because they all had shirts on that said volunteer of something, something. And they, when the flight landed in Atlanta, they were so happy to be home, not because they missed their mom or dad or boyfriend, but because, you know, the things I was hearing from them were like, it's so clean here. The air conditioning works. We can drink the water. It's not dirty. And they just were disgusted by what they saw in Guatemala. And they were going down there for charity work, which like really bothered me. Like they don't need your charity if that's what you're going to think of the people of Guatemala, right? Like we don't need your white savior complex. So you can feel good about yourself, but simultaneously, um, be so excited to be home because of these first world things that we have such as like air conditioning which is pretty much unnecessary it's just a uh, luxury item that we have here because we can afford to pay for the electricity so I, I you know I wondered like what good was their charity if they don't even respect the people that they sought to help like what was the purpose of their trip and hearing that just made me think like yeah this is this is kind of messed up the white the white man traveling is is maybe not the best thing we can be doing with our time again I don't have the answers it's just something to think about um and I don't want to produce more white guilt because that's not really the point of the show or why I'm talking about this it's just something to think about and and process and uh consider you know when we're trying to make some travel plans but I definitely don't want to put any more white guilt on people because that's not helpful either because guilt just freezes us and makes us immobile. And so um, that is not my point here. So I think that's all I'm gonna say about my trip and the problematic things that I encountered. White hippie land paradise, thanks to all your Western money. And, you know, I was also guilty of, you know, the last night I dined at this like beautiful restaurant, beautiful restaurant filled with expats and the food was amazing, but it was like the quintessential thing that is messed up with white privilege and white money when it comes down to these uh, poor countries that I was up literally like on and you know not a hill but like above the the land eating wonderful food for cheap um cooked by not natives and it was so exclusion it was so elitist and exclusionary um i had a wonderful time it was a great meal but you know in the back of my head i i was i was understanding what i was doing so anyways how about I tell you about what I'm reading, watching, and listening to? RWLing. Huh? This will be a little bit lighter on a lighter note. Okay, reading. My partner gave me this book, which is amazing. It's called Flaming Iguanas, and it's by Erica Lopez. She is a comic slash illustrator slash writer. And this book came out in the 90s. It's like, it's like lesbian 90s, like super it just reminds me of the 90s like 90s lesbian grunge culture it's so cool with riot girl riot girl punk 
grungy 90s lesbian culture. It is awesome. It's about how this woman wanted to go on this like across the country trip um, on her motorcycle and like all the things that, you know, basically like the fun and challenging and annoying and rageful things that she interacts with. But like her, it's a very funny book and it's a fast read and I really suggest it and highly recommend it and think that you should buy it and support this wonderful woman. Um, And it is very 90s, so it's kind of nostalgic because even the type, even the font like reminds me of the 90s. So that was funny to mention. So please read it. Flaming Iguanas. Uh, What am I watching? I'm watching the Minnesota Lynx and their 5-0 record. So we are the best in the league. We're either one or two because some other team is like also five or four and oh and so whatever but on deck is the show lady dynamite which is on netflix it features a bipolar comedian woman and i'm really excited to watch it because one of my students last semester just this past semester did this awesome project on bipolar invisibility in the media slash any woman that has mental health issues such as bipolar uh depression uh, is depicted in a like overtly sexual way. So think like Girl Interrupted with Angelina Jolie. So I'm really interested to read it through the eyes of my student's paper. And in terms of listening to, I'm, <laughs> I bought, because again, remember, I live in 2001, 2002. I bought Beyonce's Lemonade on CD. And I've been having a really fun time trying to determine what songs are fiction and which ones are nonfiction. Because I feel... With some of those songs, you got to be tapping into something real. But anyways, I was proud of myself. I did pick up the Drake CD first, and then I listened to my own politics. Put Drake down for now. Bought Beyonce. I will revisit Drake at a later date. So my feminism is so strong, I haven't even gotten his new record yet. So that's okay. Why don't I get it online? I don't know. Because I have CD players in my house and my car. And... It's too complicated, the electronics thing. It's, I lost my iPod, it got stolen, and just stop battering me about it, guys. Okay, well, I guess this is it. This is a short and sweet episode. I hope everybody's doing well, and we'll be back next week with a full episode. The hottest days of the summer brought us here together, you know it's true. With that, WTF Power. It's cold, or it's getting warmer Maybe come September I will feel brand
Empty threat.